Welcome back to the program. We're going to begin with a prayer. Mary Grace, I always begin with a prayer. Um, would you like to open the program with prayer? Yeah, for sure. Great. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for your presence uh, this morning or tonight as we're pre-recording it. Um, yeah, Holy Spirit, we just open ourselves to whatever you want to say. Um, would you just speak through us? Um, would you soften the hearts of the people listening? Um, whatever they need to hear, um, just let it resonate and be with them through the day. Uh, we just ask for your peace and uh, your joy to be on us as we speak. Um, yeah, and bless everyone who is listening. Just give them an abundance of your joy today. Um, we pray for mom that you would just bring her full healing, um, that she's back to normal. And yeah, we just thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness and uh, that you're always true to your word. Yeah, we love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Mary Grace. I appreciate that. So Mary Grace, uh, you had, I was joking because uh, uh, I said that you texted me something that made this father's heart so very warm. You warmed my heart in a way that very few fathers probably ever get to experience receiving a text like that from their daughter. What was it that you had texted me? I said, I want to read the Summa Theologica. I want to read the Summa Theologica of St. Thomas Aquinas. Oh, Mary Grace. I was, I just smiled. Uh, <laughs> and, oh, just well, you know what? It is such a powerful, it'll change your life reading that. I've got them here on my shelf. I'll bring them out and I'll show them to you. <laughs> Great. Um, but what was it that made you say, I want to read the Summa? I, I'd love to kind of just start with, just start with that. Well, I was listening to, started listening to Matt Frad, Pines with Aquinas. Um, he is a podcast speaker. He lives in Steubenville. Um, and basically talks about theology, has guest speakers on similar to this. Um, but they kind of talk more about theology. I don't know. Um, but I started listening, was listening to his podcast basically every day when I was going to bed, when I was working out. Um, and every time he would bring up something from Thomas Aquinas, one of his writings, one of his quotes, um, and then he said, the Summa is actually a lot easier to read than you think it is. And if you think that you can't read it, um, you actually probably can. Um, it's more simple than you think. Um, so that sparked an interest in me. So, yeah. Well, I just, it, what was it that pointed you to Pines with Aquinas? That, that's, that, that's the podcast, folks. And you can find it on, I think you can probably find it on Spotify, but I think it's an yeah. Apple podcast and. Um, it's on YouTube too. Yeah. Lots yeah it's of all over. Um, mom told me about it about a year and a half ago. I listened to episodes a couple years ago and then remembered it recently. Um, so yeah, I've known about it for a while, but recently I've really been listening to it. So and so, this is something I haven't told you, but it's something that it's part of the, the whole journey of trust that a father goes through. Um, and that is that, uh, you know, you're someone who grew up in a very intentional Catholic home. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you went off on the world race, which was interdenominational and certainly not a majority of Catholics. And while I was definitely very, very excited about having you um, put your whole sense of identity into um, how you were spending your time, right? That, that acting in faith. And, and so not just that, but having a sense of my life here on earth is to be about fulfilling the Lord's mission for my life. It was going to be in a context where you were going to be regularly and typically um, engaged with Christians um, from a variety of denominations, but committed Christians. And so there was always this sense of, um, how will this impact your Catholic faith? How will this impact your living of your life as a disciple of Jesus as a Catholic? Uh, I don't know if you, you, you knew that. Did you ever figure that out when you discovered the, 
the uh, um, uh, with the scapular, I snuck into your backpack. And <laughs> <laughs> when did you find I mean, it, by the way? I, Do you remember finding that? I'm not sure. Maybe it's still there. Know. Maybe you never even discovered it. I don't know. Um, I'll have to look. Um, yeah, I I assumed as much. I wasn't. Yeah, there was no huge revelation that I one day had. But yeah. <laughs> but the the thing that for me is so beautiful is that here you are a few years removed from that. You did the second year of mission with uh, youth with a mission, which again is interdenominational, and now you're living in a uh, a community setting with. Now, two other young women of faith that you were connected with through um, through adventures and mission and, and missions um, that uh, it was like, OK, how will this manifest itself again as you grow and mature in faith as it relates to your Catholic faith? And uh, it's, you know, it from all intents and purposes that I can see, your Catholic faith has only grown and deepened. Um, it, it's not as if you. Um, been always so uh, well i don't know i don't know quite how to say it i guess what i want to say is this is that more recently in the last six months i would say you've been more overt about um being uh like living in a very catholic way in the midst of your christian friends and how that's been magnetic to them Mm -hmm. yeah that's true i think going on the race i me as a person i have a pretty clear I think sense of what the truth is so even in the midst of being a bunch being around a bunch of Protestants at the beginning of the race um, I was really confused at the beginning when speakers would do offhand comments about the Catholics do it like this I was like what does this even mean and then while I was on the race people would say when they found out I was Catholic they go what you're a Catholic but you but you have such a deep relationship with Jesus. And I'd always laugh and be like, well, okay, well, I guess you don't have a accurate um, view of the Catholic faith. You don't have a or, deeper relationship with Catholics. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe they have actually um, met a lot and, of Catholics who are not very practice, uh, not, not practicing their yeah. faith. And then deeper conversation would lead to one of those two ends where the only Catholics they know were people who were forced to go to mass on Sunday or, they were Catholic when they grew up and their parents didn't actually love the Lord or uh, certain beliefs that they thought uh, they, they thought Catholics believed weren't actually true. Uh, there's a quote, I think, I don't remember, I don't know who it is, but it's like, there's less than a hundred people who like actually hate the Catholic faith, but there's a lot of people who hate what they think it is. And then when you find out what it actually is, it's like, oh, that's just a deeper fullness of the truth that I am believing. Um, So that was an interesting journey. Um, But at the same time, I think it took a removal from being not forced to go to Catholic school, but I was in Catholic school my whole life and going to mass every Sunday and praying the rosary every night, um, having it be kind of an automatic thing. While I still did love the Lord um, and did love the faith, it also being removed from it getting to experience charismatic faith in a different setting where there's a lot of emphasis on Holy spirit and hearing from God and prophetic and healing. And a lot of the more charismatic uh, aspects of faith, getting to totally dive into that diving into scripture. I never really read my Bible growing up, like hardly ever. There was a specific parts that I really did know, like everything that's in the mass I'll read that in the Bible and I'll be like, oh my gosh, that's in the mass. I know that. I know the line. I know the, I know this whole chapter by heart. Um, like the Seder meal, like the, they yeah, heard their 13. loins and had yes. stuff in hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know the whole thing. Um, but so there was a removal from it and then a gradual in the past couple of years being back in the States um, and having the opportunity to go to mass and choose the faith for myself, it's been a really cool collision of the two and seeing the beauty in both and getting to have really cool conversations with my friends who are pretty like open and curious and have come to mass with me. One of my friends, I told her to go up to receive communion and I said, cross your arms over your chest, thinking that she would know that that meant you can't receive communion, you're going to receive a blessing. She didn't know that. 
Um, and the priest, she went up and then tried to receive it. And the priest said, are you Catholic? And she said, no, <laughs> and she's going to receive communion. It was kind of funny, but a lot of them have come to mass with me. I told them about feast days and the saints and uh, everyone has bought that man is you by Louis Evely, uh, the Catholic writer. That is like a huge book in our community. Everyone loves it. Everyone has a copy. Um, so there's a slow conversion happening possibly. Um, but I do feel from the Lord, like, especially in like a stronger sense this year, um, that I'm in this space for a reason. And while part of me thinks, oh, would it have been better if I had just become a focus missionary or gone to a Catholic college or done one of these other things and then be able to be in like a rich Catholic community. I think it's actually a cool um, opportunity for uh, evangelization and getting to reveal deeper truth to people who might not have otherwise um, been exposed to it. So yeah, it's been a cool journey. And I have had the, sometimes when I'm driving home from mass, I'm like, this is exactly what dad probably prayed for. Like sometimes when I'm at mass, I'm like, why do I want to go? I'm like, I think this is the result of intercession. So yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Well, you know, when I, um, going to daily mass, I'm always receiving communion for all of you guys, especially knowing that pretty much none of you are able to get to daily mass, or maybe it's not a thing for you guys yet. So, um, well, thankfully, I, the house I just moved into is half a mile from the only Catholic church in town. And I went on a run the other day in the rain and I went into church, went to confession, and then I ran home. That was my like workout when the confession came home. <laughs> included the spiritual workout. I love it. That is so awesome. So, you know, you mentioned something that is um, it's it, my instinct, and I want to call this a spiritual instinct is that um, we're at a, I want to call it the traditional Latin mass 2.0 moment. Um, because you talked about like sort of two sources of um, uh, nourishment for your own spiritual life right now. One is that sense of um, charismatic openness to the spirit, especially as the spirit moves you into um, opportunities to, to spread the kingdom. Right, whether it's preaching or expecting miracles, supernatural interventions from the Lord. So that sense of a, a charismatic spirituality. But when, um, you know, if I said, oh, where do you go to mass on Sundays? Is it just the local church, the one that's closest and most convenient? And the answer is no. So where, when you have your druthers, when you have a chance to sort of ideally choose, where am I going to go to mass? Where, where have you been going? Well, most recently I've discovered Holy Rosary, which is a, it's a parish. I don't know if it's called the Dominican Rite Parish, but that's what, who it's run by. Um, but they have a Latin mass on Sunday, the high mass, which I love. Um, and I'm trying to make everyone come with me. That's my favorite one so far. I also like the cathedral, not because I necessarily love the bishop, but I like how it's really beautiful. The cathedral, it's our Lady Immaculate Conception uh, Cathedral in Portland. That one's really beautiful. They have, I like to go to their vigil mass on Saturday because they have confession, a really cool adoration chapel and really cool stained glass. Um, love it there. And I go to the Abbey, uh, Mount Angel Abbey. Um, I usually go there for Vespers or their prayer. I'll bring people there. It's just good for prayer and being on the grounds because they have visitors. So yeah, that's, those are my three. Well, and then I go to St. Peter and Paul, which is the one in Newburgh. If I'm leading worship later in the day at my church, or if I can't make it, sometimes I go to the Spanish mass at 1230 if all else fails. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, and I, I love what you're describing. You're describing, again, both dimensions or streams of how the Lord is bringing about renewal today. Because when I just say, like, from a pure standpoint of, like, where is their fruit? Where is the Lord fostering 
a sense of vibrant participation in the faith that's that's magnetically drawing people, it would be the traditional Latin mass. Those are the parishes that are growing that have um, exuberance and, and, and families and all of that. But there's also um, a movement. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called Encounter. And it, mm-hmm. it kind of came from uh, this priest who went to the seminary in Detroit and Mary Healy, um, who um, had this awakening of expectation that the spirit moves in miraculous ways. She lived in a covenant community for years. Um, but this whole sense of expectant faith for the Lord to move in the miraculous, she brought back to that seminary and, and I think taught a course that this priest was in. I think his name is Father Thalen. Um, in any case, um, he received this anointing himself um, at a like a, a, some kind of like healing revival event um, led by this, you know, this pastor with this gift. And this gift was imparted to him. And so now he travels with this team and they put on these revival events like in Catholic schools, in parishes. Oh, and that's awesome. Yeah. That sounds like YWAM. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and and they have started to invest in the west side of um uh, in the Seattle area as one of their um like first places of like let's really grow another team out here who it, it receives an impartation of that same kind of spirit. So in fact, your, um, your aunt Laura and uncle Mike are part of one. So well, it, it's at father awesome. Ed White's parish at, uh, oh. yeah. So Stephen the martyr. Yes, that's right. So there, and then up at, um, uh, there's a parish North of the city as well. Uh, that, uh, was very, that's very involved. Father Cal Christensen is also very involved, uh, in that. And, and I, I think that's all, um, I think that's all current. I, I'm, I might be off a little bit, but uh, for me, that's so very exciting that um, if you say, what is it that's going to grab, not just grab the attention, but grab the hearts and the minds and the lives of people today, um, there's a way in which it really involves God breaking through the Lord, the living Lord breaking through into our lives. And I say, Mm -hmm. in a holy, reverent liturgy, in a beautiful, sacred place, as well as in charismatic praise and worship and the giftings of the spirit, God is breaking through in really powerful ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's cool to be able to experience both of them. And I think like a question I sometimes pose to people who have just gone to uh, non-denominational Protestant churches uh, their whole lives is like, do you think God is so, so small that he can only show up in this kind of church? Like, don't you also think he could be in a Catholic church as well? If you think that he's everywhere, like might he also be here? Um, and then they'll go and they'll say, wow, so reverent, so holy, all of these beautiful things that you'd never see um, in a Protestant church, maybe not never see, but it's just in such a different way. Um, And then to Catholics, it's like, do you think God is so small that he can only show up in this way? Like he's for sure moving in these like healing services and in this like extravagant worship and uh, evangelizing on the streets and praying for people. So, yeah, it's cool to experience so much of the Lord. So, yes. Well, uh, Mary Grace, we're going to pause right there. We're coming up against a break. When we come back, I want to pick up on that on a theme that you just said in just a minute on Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran with my daughter, Mary Grace Curran. We'll be back. Okay, so Mary Grace, we're back here on Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran, and I'm with my daughter, Mary Grace Curran, on this Faith and Family Friday edition. So Mary Grace, I am, um, I'm, I'm constantly thinking as a father that I want for my kids to be able to uh, come alive in faith. And I know one of the biggest challenges that they're going to face is having this sense of an encounter with the living God. And so just before the break, um, we were 
finishing up with this theme of being open to where the Lord is at work today. And I think that one of the things that will help advance the Catholic church um, in the lives of Catholics is being able to bring together in a more profound way, the dimension of the charismatic, which it tends to be more missionary as well as the concept of corporate worship with the liturgy with the liturgical, especially done in a reverent way, where there is that sense of a holy sacrifice of the mass. Um, and, and, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's a difficult thing because I find that the adherents that are the strongest, the strongest adherence to one or the other tend to not look that uh, often at the other as a, a vibrant source of renewal as well. So, um, and I think honestly, it's probably more on the part of the traditional Latin mass folks that there tends to be um, a much, uh, that, that it's, it's rarer for me to experience that sense of authentic enthusiasm and excitement about the idea that the spirit is working in charismatic ways. Um, mm-hmm. I think I find more often that there are those with charismatic spirituality who are also open to the traditional Latin mass as a way to worship the Lord um, profoundly and authentically with reverence. So. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember being, I don't know if you remember this, but when we went to St. Vincent's, I remember going to the life teen mass and they were like, they had a worship team. And I was like, why are we listening to this like rock music, like at mass? And I was so annoyed at it. Um, But I guess there is a time and place for it, but I was listening to, when I was listening to Matt Fred, they were talking about the sudden or like the recent uh, large amount of people going to traditional Latin mass. And he said something that uh, I've never thought of before, how the Latin mass doesn't have the like opening song and the uh, bringing up of the gifts song and the communion song and the closing song. Like those aren't supposed to be part of the mass it's like that's music that's just inserted to the mass but the latin mass is really cool because it's sung and there aren't these like extra songs just put in but the mass is sung which i thought was really interesting i was like yeah i guess that does make sense why are we why are we just adding a song for when the priest is walking in like that's the time for prayer well you know what that's uh i'll have to go back and listen to that because he might be talking about a low mass um, that tends to be much more silent. Um, but and uh, maybe it might be the custom of a particular church. But um, I know at the high mass, when we go to St. Joan, they do have an entrance song, a processional hymn. Um, and, and you know what, maybe it's not sung like that. Maybe it's just that there's sacred music happening while the priest is processing. So that's interesting. I'll have to... Um, dig a little bit further into um, what he means by that. But if, so here's the thing though, Mary Grace. So you're finding life in both of those. Um, what I'm uh, continuing to pray for and trust uh, that the Lord is involved in is that you have a bunch of siblings who are neither excited about praise and worship nor the traditional <laughs> Latin mass. And I still have such a hunger for them to be able to open themselves or be opened by God's grace to um, that living encounter with the Lord Jesus that will, you know, turn them upside down. So, yeah, I mean, I think about when I was in mission school, discipleship training, something that we learned about going up to people on the street or at the grocery store or in the mall and praying for them um, and preaching the gospel to them was that often it does not matter how good of an argument that you have or like that's not the thing to try to do is give them information about Jesus but the most like radical changes that people have are when they experience healing physical healing or mental I guess if they feel depression anxiety leave or if you give them a prophetic word word of knowledge and they're like how did you know that there's no way you can know that and then it's like well actually it's 
the Lord and he knows you. And that's when they come to know the Lord. So I guess you could apply it in a similar way where the kids, I mean, we have those games that we were playing at Christmas with Catholic trivia, Bible trivia, and the kids actually know a lot and they have a lot of scripture memorized. And it's funny when we all start talking about Catholic faith or I bring up Protestantism that they're all super intense about Catholicism. I'm like, Oh, I didn't know you guys love Jesus. I had, I had no idea. Um, (laughs) But I feel like the thing that makes the switch is having actually an encounter with the Lord. So, yeah, I agree. Oh, I was going to bring up this story too, that is um, probably a, like a, one, one place where that can happen is in the confessional. Um, mm-hmm. I told this. Or Adoration Chapel. Adoration. Yeah. I mean, how many years did we bring you guys to Adoration, right? For those 30 minute sessions of quiet, uh, of time of Adoration. And that's what you, I think you knew this. Well, maybe I, you eventually figured it out or I told you that all of those quiet times we did where we had you guys sitting in silence, that was, that was sort of a natural foundation that we were attempting to create in you a capacity that you would then bring into your times of adoration uh, and that you'd have a greater sense of receptivity to encountering the Lord in adoration. Yeah, you know, that's cool. You know that? I didn't know that. No. Yeah. It was, uh, I was attempting to develop in you the contemplative stance towards reality instead of trying to analyze it, no, sit before it, be present to it and allow it to unveil itself to you. It's not just the Lord in adoration, but it's all of life around you, right? Think about how many times you're paying attention and receptive to a situation rather than trying to analyze it, which is a, a mm-hmm. natural tendency. So anyway, yeah, just to uh, go ahead. No, I was just, I definitely try to analyze things. <laughs> yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> but in, uh, in confession, there's a priest at, uh, at St. Joan of Arc who is charismatically gifted in confession. I, I swear he has these prophetic words of knowing exactly what, to, what sin to pick and draw out and then give, gets wisdom from God. And, and I, I shared about it early, like last week on the, uh, earlier in the week maybe, um, about how that happened to me last Sunday when I went to confession. And it's really, it's really kind of funny because this is the priest who is com- uh, almost entirely close to the idea of charismatic gifting. <laughs> mm. But so funny. I think that that's a beautiful example of the two coming together is um, charismatic gifting at work in something like preaching or in the sacraments, especially confession. Mm. Yeah. So that's a good example. Um, so Mary Grace, I, I sent you a video and um, in anticipation for this uh, interview that we're doing, um, I also recommended, you said to me, oh, I'm going to read von Balthasar's book on prayer. And I'm like, oh, that's fine dining right there. That is, <laughs> that is not fast food. That is not McDonald's right there. That is fine dining. Um, it's like, I, that's one of those books that it's almost impossible to get through because it's so rich. So, but then I also sent you a video that was given to me by uh, Brennan Manning um, on trust and the gospel having at its essence that the theme of trust. Um, Which one of those do you want to talk about? Hmm. Let's talk about the video. Okay. So what do you think? Uh, I was blown away. Um, um, Yeah. uh, Mom and I, Carrie and I were uh, driving home from, um, we were driving home from adoration. We went to adoration on Tuesday night. And, uh, and on our way home, I said, oh, someone sent me this video. Let me listen to it and t- turn it on. And it was, it just blew me away. It was so powerful. Yeah. I was taking notes on it and I had to keep back going backwards because I was writing down everything he was saying. It was just like straight truth. Yeah. For me, that was like, um, it seemed like that was his core message. When I think about, yes. you know, that you're made for like a- the way he's the way he described everything was like, okay, you've definitely said this before. The wording was so specific. I was like, there's no way you're coming up with this many synonyms right now. But like, it was that sense of authority too, because the word was so alive in him. It was so, it was like he, he lived it. He radiated that word trust. And, yeah. and for me, it was so powerful. I was, I listened to it again. Um, 
because I didn't get to the end. I missed the last few minutes on our ride home. And so I listened, I wanted to listen to it all again uh, in anticipation for our interview, uh, our, our conversation today. And at the end, did you notice he said, let's pray. And when he did, he, um, he referenced um, Luke 12, 32, my favorite passage. Oh yeah. Yeah. I did notice that. Yeah. 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 Do not live in. He mentioned it. He mentioned it earlier too. Um, you know what? Did he mention actually Luke 12, 32? Did he actually say the passage or because I didn't. It's your father's. He said, it's your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. He mentioned that during the talk. Okay. I'm pretty sure. I know he had that theme was certainly woven around, but the funny thing is, is I didn't even connect it um, to the passage until he said, let's pray. And then when he referenced it and he said, do not live in fear, little flock, it has pleased the father to give you the kingdom. It just was like the Lord it tied everything together. Oh, it, yeah. it moved me. He said, everybody close your eyes. And he was praying <laughs> and it was like, wow, the power of prayer. It was like, this video was made like, I don't know, 10, 20, 10 years, at least 10 years ago. And um, he was praying for me. And I just thought that was really beautiful because yeah. he died, I think in like 2016 or, or something like that. So I thought that was really powerful mm -hmm. that um, I've been talking about intercession and the way that the Lord links together two moments in history. And it was like, mm -hmm. wow, I wasn't there, but he actually was praying for me. Oh, in the Von Balthasar yeah. book, where it's like things that are happening now is what people prayed for, or you can pray for things now yeah that whole thing was crazy yeah so i experienced that i experienced that idea that the lord who's outside of time and is lord over time in his providential care for each and all of us will connect souls that are distant in not just geographically in one time but even across the centuries in order to that one person's prayer or um, loving act or sacrificial act has a spiritual benefit to someone else that they never they will never know until they get to heaven and, and then it'll all be manifest. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I just thought that was really beautiful. Was there a particular quote or two or theme that showed up in that video that you um, want to draw right now that you found striking? Well, I just remembered one at the very beginning, he was telling a story about an Olympic athlete who was going to go run a race he was really good yeah, sister came up to him yeah. yeah oh okay i haven't seen the movie his sister came up to him before and said i don't think you should do this i'm so worried that you'll lose your faith and get caught up in the fame of winning and he said god made me fast i can feel his pleasure his delight in me when i'm running fast and i loved that because yeah, I love any any writing about like doing what the Lord created you to do and like be who God made you to be and set the world ablaze. That kind of reminded me of that. So well, and I loved that because I thought he was going to do a different one. Um, I thought he was going to reference a different quote, but that one was striking to me because it was referencing something that was human right? A running in a race. It wasn't, you know, God loves when I go to church or when I stand up and proclaim mm -hmm. the gospel. No, there's something delightful to the Lord in just the human things that he has um, made us to do and made us good at. And I found that comforting and consoling because I still, even after all these years of doing church work and spending my a lot of my professional life doing ministry work will um, look down a little bit upon the non-ministry work I do as if somehow it's a lesser work or it's less pleasing to the Lord or it's work I have to mm -hmm. do for the sake of the other work. That's really the important work. Yeah. So I found that um, pass that movie line to be, and then his comments on it to be a bit of a corrective to me, a reminder to me, that hmm. no, do all you do in love and you're glorifying the Lord, do all that you have uh, been placed into your hands to do. And Jesus shows up, he, you know, he gets to show up on this earth by you honoring him. Yeah, that's really good. And I think I've experienced that too, being in ministry settings, like 
heavily ministry settings for the past two years where it seems like that's the high call or like, oh, what are you going to do after you get home from this trip? Like asking secretly, oh, what missions are you going to do next? Or what are you called to do? And even though it's like, oh, I'm going to school, people are like, oh, that's really awesome. But it's like, okay, secretly, what are you going to school so that you can eventually do in the mission field? Um, So yeah, I loved that. Yeah. And if somehow you're going to school just for the sake of getting a career, well, well, that's too bad. You won't say it like that, but you can think you're choosing the lesser way. It's a little bit selfish or yeah, but it's like God put that desire or talent or ability in you for a reason. God made me an accountant. And when I, when (laughs) I punch in those numbers and I reconcile budgets, God smiles. He takes pleasure in that. Yeah. Is that a quote from something? No, I just, I'm I'm just taking a, I'm taking a profession that maybe is less, you know, you don't mm -hmm. less think of it as, oh, God is pleased by this. Yeah. Well, I, one of my pastors at my St. Hill church, uh, I remember they said uh, it it would be a shame to, uh, if God made you to become like a janitor or a teacher, it would be a shame if you missed that call and became a pastor instead, yep. which is crazy. Yeah. That's a, that's a, I don't know if it's a paraphrase or a takeoff of Bishop Fulton Sheen. He says that um, what God has called you to be a street sweeper or a bishop, um, that's up to him. How well you fulfill the call, that's up to you. And that God's glorified <laughs> more by a street sweeper who fulfills his call, uh, you know, with love or in a, you know, more perfectly than a bishop who, fulfills that call less perfectly so well mary grace these are great comments hey we're up against another break when we come back let's continue our conversation let's let's move in and talk about oh i'll, I'll give the name of the uh the video and then we'll talk about uh von balthazar's book on prayer back in a minute with more sound insight Well, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern again with my daughter, Mary Grace. And Mary Grace, thanks for, again, taking time to be with me uh, today. I really appreciate you being on the program. I think it's a blessing for folks to be able to uh, hear. I, I know how much they enjoy when I talk with your mom, when I talk with Carrie. People love that dynamic. They love the relationship and how um, stuff comes out of me that only comes out of me because I'm in conversation with mom. And for loves. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Go ahead. What's the quote? Uh, you can do the, uh, paraf- do the paraphrase. Uh, person A draws something specific out of person B and person C. When person A leaves, I guess he uses names, but he also uses the letters. Person B will no longer laugh at a specifically person C joke because that first person isn't there. And we notice that the most when certain kids aren't home or when everyone's all together. Yep. Yeah. So there's a way in which in folks that are listening to this to realize that um, it's often people tend to think, oh, I'm jealous if a third person comes and breaks up the time I'm having with this dear friend of mine. And C.S. Lewis is like, no, if you really love your friend, then what you're going to love even more is the fact that you can't bring everything out of your friend that is there to be brought out. It takes other people. And so when you have someone else that is a true friend, they're going to bring things out of your friend that you wouldn't have otherwise seen or a spouse, a child, et cetera. So um, that actually uh, brings me to a quote um, in this part of the program. Um, Mary Grace, I meant we had mentioned a video by Brennan Manning on the gospel of trust, the importance of trust and how powerful that was. You can find it on YouTube folks. If you just look it up, Brennan Manning, on the gospel of trust. It's a reflection on John 14 verses one and two. Um, and uh, it's about having faith in God and faith in me. Um, but uh, you also referenced von Balthasar's book on prayer. Well, I grabbed his book. The, oh, actually, let me just start with this. When you held up, we're, we're recording this over Zoom and you held up the book on prayer, I smiled because I forgot I had given you not just a copy of my book on prayer, 
but the one that was given to me in 1984, in the summer of 1984, before I entered the seminary, Father, um, Father Jim Burke, he was a young priest at St. Malachy's Parish in Burlington, Massachusetts. When I was heading off to the seminary, he said, hey, I've got some things for you. And he gave me a cassock, um, which you didn't wear cassocks in the seminary in, uh, in the time that I went there. And so I basically used it at parties. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, the, uh, he gave me uh, a box of books. And one of them was a book called Prayer. And it's the book you're holding in your hand. Um, and the crazy thing is, is that I don't know if I would have been introduced to him or how quickly I would have been introduced to him had it not been for that book, which was just in a box of other books. He didn't say, you've got to read von Balthasar. I don't even know where he got it from. But I started to read that book and it just changed my life. So powerful. And over the course of, well, let's see, is it 37, 38 years, 37 and a half years, I've read so many books by von, Balth- by von Balthasar, not just read books, but incorporated his way of thinking about things, his way of seeing God and faith. And it has fundamentally shaped my whole life. You know, who would have thought that a book, just someone's thoughts in a book on prayer could be a a launching point for someone's journey that could fundamentally alter form, shape, mold, how it is they look at life, their life of faith in God himself. Would you say that it is like similar to like a star in a constellation that you look at at night that guides you? You know, I never thought about it like that. Um, but because <laughs> I, I normally don't follow the guidance of stars. <laughs> It'd be like I'm, my Waze app. It'd be like a Waze app. I'm referencing the quote. I know you're, te- you're teeing it up. I love how you did that. That was really clever of you. Um, what she's talking about is the book called The Grain of Wheat, which is aphorisms by Hansers von Balthasar. And in it, there is a quote apropos to this conversation. He says, nothing gives, this is von Balthasar, nothing gives me so much pleasure as my ability to extract from the chaos of history, the four or five figures who together represent for me the constellation of my own idea and mission. His own idea means his own sense of self, his own sense of identity. And I'm always talking about identity and mission or purpose and mission, identity, vision and mission. And, um, and he's saying that his own sense about these things came from these figures, these figures in, in church history and in intellectual history that like, Von Balthasar is one of them for me. Well, little did I know, guess what? Von Balthasar has those authors and those influential figures as well. And so it's like we're part of this great big, oh, wow, family of humanity, or even better, the body of Christ, where the Lord will use us to influence each other (coughs) on our own journey to God. So I love that. I have handed on to you what I myself received, that book Mm -hmm. on prayer. And now you're reading it and you're being blessed by it. Um, And you mentioned earlier uh, the book by Louis Evely, That Man Is You. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, I'm trying to remember where I found, where I got that book, where it was given to me. I think I found it in the seminary. But again, just a a life-changing book and I, those are the books that I grab whenever I go to a used bookstore. I, there are certain books that if I can find some, I just grab them and give them away. That's what I've started doing as well. Yeah. So it's, it's really, really cool. Cause Louis Evely is a, is an author that, you know, he's pretty much in the dustbin of history, right? You might think, Oh, wow. Lots of your friends are being influenced by him, but that's just like a little pocket of, um, um, of, I don't know, Holy Spirit power. But isn't that cool? You know, here's Louis Evely. You know, we, we hope he's in heaven. He must just be like delighted that, <laughs> that things that he wrote that just ended up in a language that he didn't write in, that was translated, ended up in Newburgh, Oregon, in Spokane, 
Washington, you know, influencing people's lives. Yeah, it's funny. I just think that's amazing. So are there, like, I think that there are, there are figures in my own personal history that have shaped me. Mm-hmm. And um, I wonder if you can guess any of them. Well, von Balthasar. Yes, von Balthasar, for sure. Aquinas. Yes, Aquinas, right? Through the, especially through the Summa Theologica. Um, just reading that has fundamentally shaped my life as well. Um, John Paul II. So John Paul II, yes, but John Paul II is attached to Father Mark Noonan. So Father mm-hmm. Mark Noonan was the philosopher. Um, he, was, he was a priest. He is a priest um, who was a spiritual director and taught mostly philosophy at St. John's Seminary College when I went there my junior, junior and senior year um, uh, after uh, when I first entered the seminary. And um, he was the one who taught me how to read hmm. St. John Paul II. Um, and so I would not have appreciated John Paul II had it not been, not nearly as much, had it not been for Father Mark Noonan. Hmm. He also introduced me to St. Bonaventure, who was another oh, very yeah. important saint in my own um, spirituality and spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and St. Augustine. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so so many of these great saints who are also theologians, um, I had to be um, uh, mentored, taught, formed to be able to access them um, in a profound way. So I would say that uh, it's amazing. You know, it can be living people. Father Mark Noonan's still living. And uh, yeah. he has so deeply shaped my understanding of silence and solitude and simplicity. Like those silent, quiet times were based on how he taught me about silence. Hmm. So it's, isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Well, Mary Grace, believe it or not, we're up against our last break. When we come back, we'll have just about five minutes left in the program. And I'd love for you to maybe share uh, with the with the folks who are there, either one or two people that have fundamentally shaped how you see the Lord, uh, authors that have had an impact on your life or people that have shaped and molded your life. Or you can um, pick a quote from von Balthasar's book on prayer. So we'll, we'll see which one, which we'll see where we go in a minute on Sound Insight. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kernan with my daughter, Mary Grace. Okay, Mary Grace, in the great constellation of your, uh, of your life, when you look to the sky for your true north. Uh, I want you to guess. Okay. Who would I think has impacted you? You could probably guess pretty easily. It's not oh, like really? a secret. Yeah. Okay. I would say like the little flower. Yeah, that's one. Yeah. Padre Pio? No, I wouldn't say. I don't. Has he written a bunch of stuff? No, it's more his life. His life. Yeah. I wouldn't say as strongly as Saint Therese. Then um, is it? Are we talking about Catholic saints? Not one Not of them. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's an author. Okay. And I quoted him in this program. Oh, you did? Oh, is it Louis Evely? No. Okay. Then I give up. C.S. Lewis. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You just, it just wasn't you were, you were thinking about. Yeah. He's yeah. for sure one of my top favorites. Chronicles of Narnia is one of my all-time favorite book series. Yeah. Okay. So I, here's the thing. Now, you could just think about that as fiction, but can talk about how has that influenced you how has that like sown something deep in your heart yeah i mean the way that he writes is really cool because the chronicles of narnia can be read by children and understood but as you grow in relationship with the lord the more uh the deeper your experience is while reading chronicles of narnia so mm-hmm. 
I mean, the whole line, the witch in the wardrobe is all about Jesus dying on the cross. And I think there's seven books and each of them kind of tackle a, one of the seven deadly sins. The last book is about the book of revelation. I think overall though, um, the like biggest revelation from it is Aslan's relationship with the people of Narnia. And I think it's helped me better understand um, God as a father, I think, just with the way that the kids respond to him. Um, yeah. So. I, uh, so one of my very, very favorite lines in the whole series is from the line, the witch in the wardrobe, it's Mrs. Beaver. And they're there when they first meet the beavers, they're in the beaver's den. And they're talking about, what... about safe. That one? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and so they're saying we should get Aslan. Aslan's a lion, right? And <laughs> and the quote is um uh, uh, uh now now I don't even remember the quote, my goodness, but it was about um uh is he safe? Who's safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. Yeah. And I just, I love that. That is so beautiful. It, it's just very moving to me, that idea that we want a domesticated God. We want a God who's just safe um, rather than a God who's big and powerful, but good. Mm-hmm. And so a God who can handle whatever it is we're going through, a God who's... Well, I guess that ties into this quote from prayer. But... And you have a minute and a half to give it. So, Okay, I'll go to the end of it. It's talking about uh, the word of God. It says, it is also a secret whispered in the night, gentle and alluring, impenetrable, incredible to the most robust faith, a mystery no creature will fathom. It is uttered loud and clear in the full light of day, almost menacing so as to rouse man from his dreams and make him inwardly alive to what sounds in his ears. And that just kind of goes on with the both sides of God that are held at the same time. So. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, that is, um, for me, that's a God that's not domesticated, a God that's big enough to blow up our categories, not a God that's contradictory, but a God that's paradoxical. And so a contradictory God is two things that are opposed. A paradoxical God is upholding two things that are true, but you only understand one of them fully when the other one is also upheld like God is just and merciful, for instance. Hmm, You don't understand God's justice without his mercy, and you don't understand his mercy without his justice. So that's why I always, you know, how many times have I said, is God like this or like this? And the answer is yes. Uh, As a way of trying to uphold that sense of God is big. All right. Well, Mary Grace, you've done an awesome job walking with me through the program. Uh, We are at the end of our time. And so I do wish everybody God's blessings on your day, on your weekend, and join me on Monday for more Sound Insight.